He is everything. We are nothing. Uh, always that has to be the forefront. We can't call fire down from heaven. We can't save someone's soul. Uh, there, you know, we can't heal anybody. We can't, we can't do any of that stuff. Only God can do those things. We have to erase the human part of the equation. Whenever we're praying, whenever we are seeking God, it's not what we can do, it's what He can do. It's always what He can do. It's so easy to get caught up in our own accomplishments and forget that we can't accomplish anything apart from God. Today, with Dr. Rich Roberts, we continue the Sunday School series entitled, Trusting God, the Life of Elijah. Welcome to our second lesson in the Adult Sunday School for Trusting God, and we're looking at the life of Elijah. Uh, Let's start off this morning uh, with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for all of your many blessings. We thank you for this opportunity once again to gather in Sunday school to study your word. We, pray, we, we just pray now that the Holy Spirit, the real teacher, will teach us, enlighten the word to our hearts, Lord, that we can grow and we can get closer to you. We give you honor and praise for this through Jesus Christ. And amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. Those of you who were uh, with me in the last Sunday school lesson, you will will remember that this is homework, uh, that you should have read 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, And so we're going to discuss some things today. This is a famous passage of scripture, and I'm sure most of you have already heard sermons on this particular portion of scripture. This is Elijah and the Mount Carmel experience where fire was called down from heaven. Uh, and, and actually consumed this, the, uh, the sacrifice prepared. But we're going to look at some specific things from this particular portion of Scripture that hopefully will be encouragement today. As I said, we, the, we are, we're looking at trusting God. We're looking at the life of Elijah. But specifically what we're looking at today is trusting God's direction. That, that when God gives us a direction to follow, that we trust that His direction is always accurate, is always right. Now, let me give you a little bit of background, uh, just so you will remember from last week and so on. Elijah had said to the country that it would not rain. And that statement, which we heard last week, was a direct affront to the Canaanite god Baal. The Canaanite god Baal was the Canaanite god of rain. It was the religion that Jezebel, Ahab's wife, uh, who was uh, Ahab was king of Israel at the time. It was the religion that she followed and that she had converted her husband to. Her husband did not need a lot of conversion to it because his father, Omri, actually also worshipped the Canaanite gods. So uh, he had forsaken uh, Yahweh or Jehovah and had followed the Canaanite god Baal, the god of rain. So whenever Elijah says, excuse me, whenever, whenever Elijah says it's not going to rain, it is a direct confrontation to the Canaanite religion, especially this following of Baal. It did not rain for over three years. Now as we come into chapter 18, we're, we, are, we are first of all going to deal with Elijah restoring the rain. This is still an affront to Baal. Baal could not make it rain. Baal's not a real god. So, it, uh, everyone has to wait for Elijah, the prophet of Jehovah, to come up and say, it's going to rain. And this happens three years later. He comes up and says, it's going to rain. 
Now this, this meeting did not go very well in chapter 18. And I want to go through some of the stuff with this meeting and what happened and so on in order for us to learn about following God's direction. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 17, the Bible says that when he, he being Ahab, whenever he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I want to stop there, and I'm probably going to go on a few tangents this morning, but that's okay. Uh, you troubler of Israel. It is the same mentality that people have of followers of God today, of Christians today. They think that we're the ones who cause the trouble. You know, we are, we, we are the troublemakers. The stances that we hold are too old-fashioned, are too conservative. And that we are the ones who are always interrupting and causing problems in the world today. I want to remind everybody, we're not the ones causing the trouble. Not at all. In fact, when you get to verse number 18, notice Elijah's response. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. So notice what he says. He says, the problem is that you have forsaken God. The problem is you're following other gods. You're, you are following other ways. It's the same problem we have in the world system today. The world system has gone extremely liberal. They have forsaken the following of God. They have forsaken the following of Jehovah. And they've done their own way. I know growing up, of course I grew up in the Bible Belt, but growing up in the U.S. Bible Belt, uh, growing up, going to church and following the ways of God was always the expectation that we had. Uh, I mean, everybody pretty much went to church. Uh, I remember the blue light laws, uh, uh, blue laws, whatever they were called, where businesses were not open on Sunday and so on. And people went to church and people worshiped. Uh, that was the mainstream thing, it seemed like. Uh, but now things, things have turned. And going to church is almost the abnormal for many people. Uh, they, they, they don't want to congregate. They don't want to worship. And so, the, you know, we, we look like to them to be the troublemakers. When in reality, it's the rebellion against God that is the trouble in the first place. Uh, so, Ahab listens to Elijah as Elijah makes a challenge. And, 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 and of course, the challenge is against Baal and against Baal's so-called power. Now, God's never alarmed at the making of a challenge. God's never alarmed at showing who he is. God knows who he is and he's able to prove who he is at any time. And so we, we are now going to get into what caused the fire to fall. Why did the fire fall on Mount Carmel? We start off in verse number 21, and we look at the critical question of life in verse number 21. Uh, remember that Ahab has just called Elijah a troublemaker. Now we get to verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. The choice is always ours who we are to follow. Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow uh, sin? Are we going to follow the ways of the world? It reminds me of Joshua 24, 15. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, or the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Uh, this is the exact response that Elijah was looking for from the people. What is your response to the question, who are you going to follow? Which way are you going to go? Are you going to follow the ways of the world, the ways of Baal, or are you going to follow the ways of God? Joshua gave the response, we will serve the Lord. Sadly, though, that's not the response of the people when they heard the same question from, from Elijah. In uh, verse number 21, the Bible says, the people said nothing. Elijah asked the most important question of life. Which way are you going to follow? Which way are you going to go? Uh, the question being, are you, are, are you following God? Or are you following the ways of Baal in the world? The people responded with nothing. They tried to play it neutral. They were in a wait and see mode. Let's see what's going to happen before we make any type of decision. Ladies and gentlemen, if we fail to speak for God, if we fail to act for God, then we are against him. That's plain and simple. We are either for him or we are against him. In the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse number 38, Jesus said it this way. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, who is Jesus, will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus' statement was, either you're for me or you're against me. Either you speak for me now or when the end of time is here and Jesus has arrived, he says, I'm ashamed of you too. In other words, Jesus will not speak for us. Revelation 3.16 puts it this way. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In other words, I'm going to vomit you up. You made me sick is what the Lord says. You're making me sick. Your, your neutrality. Your failure to take a stand makes me sick. So in verse 21 of 1 Kings 18, when the people said nothing, when they tried to play it neutral, it is an offense to God. It is, it is an offense to Jehovah because they're trying to play the neutral ground. And that is unacceptable with God. God does not allow for neutral ground. That takes us now, I want you to look at start, starting with verse number 26. In verse number 26, I want you to notice that the Baals, the false gods, are always silent. The Bible says, so they took a bull given to them and they prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. Ladies and gentlemen, the gods of this world, the religions of this world are silent on a lot of issues. They are silent on the issue of why am I here? They are silent on the issue of who made me. They are silent on the issue of who created the world. I respect the idea of freedom of religion. I truly do. 
I, you know, it's one of the principles that our country was founded upon. I believe in the separation of church and state. Uh, I don't think that we need an official religion. Uh, if someone wants to be a Buddhist, if someone wants to be a Muslim, whatever the world religion, uh, if someone wants to be an atheist, someone wants to be an agnostic, I respect that person's right. In fact, God respects that right too. We always have the right to choose. And we can choose whatever religion we want. We can choose what to follow, what to believe, what not to believe, and so on. But it doesn't mean that that respect for other people's religious ideas is an acknowledgement of their validity. That's, that's not it at all. I can respect someone else's right to follow whatever religion or not follow whatever religion that they want to. It doesn't mean that their views are right. Ladies and gentlemen, I am a proponent of the belief that following Jehovah God through his son Jesus Christ is the only possible way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus, you know, to, to, to a lot of people, that sounds divisive. And you know what? It absolutely is divisive. It is extremely divisive. Jesus said, I am the way, not one of the ways. Every religion's not the same. Uh, I've heard a lot of people, you know, especially in secular media, in movies and so on, who try to say that, you know, worshiping God by whatever name you call him is the same thing. No, it's not. God is not Allah. God is not Buddha. Uh, it, it, that, that, that is just not true. God is God. Jehovah God and his son, Jesus Christ. So much so, you know, now, now remember the Old Testament's designed to draw pictures for us. To show us what the proper responses are. When the Canaanites are there worshiping Baal, another name for God, the secular media would say. As they're there worshiping Baal, I want you to notice Elijah's response, which you find in verse number 27 of 1 Kings 18. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. He's making fun of them. Taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah is poking fun at them. He is mocking them because they're dancing around the altar they've made. Uh, they, are, they are sacrificing to this fake God. Nothing's happening. And Elijah said back, you know, he knows nothing's going to happen. He knows that Baal is a false God. He knows that there's no salvation in Baal. So Elijah's there saying, okay, go ahead and pray to him. Fine. It's, you know, go ahead, dance all you want. You, believing something does not make it right. Just because you believe something does not mean your belief is accurate. It is important to believe in what is true. Jesus said, I'm not only the way. He said, I am the truth. In other words, a, there is only one way of salvation, and that's Jesus Christ, because he is the truth. No other way is the truth. All right? It's all a lie. Jesus is the truth. And therefore, Elijah was mocking them, mocking their, their religious beliefs. Now, as I said, I respect other people's beliefs. I respect their rights to believe whatever they want to believe. But that, but that doesn't mean that I believe that, they're, that, that, that their faith is valid. I do not. Uh, I accept Jesus Christ as the only way. We come to Elijah's sacrifice before the Lord. Now, 
People look at this story, and I want to point out some stuff here. Elijah did not just walk up and say, okay, abracadabra or whatever, and the fire fall. It wasn't a magic potion. Uh, it wasn't a spell or whatever for the fire to fall. Elijah did some very specific things in honor of God for God to respond with the fire falling from heaven. And I want you to notice what these specific things are because in my personal belief system, this is the way to touch God in every aspect of life. I mean, we're, we are having uh, a time now with COVID and the crisis and, you know, isolationism and so on. We are, we are, we are trying to keep ourselves away from other people and so on. That's why we're doing a video Sunday school lesson. Uh, and we get troubled at all of this. But in the midst of our worst valleys, I mean, think about it. Elijah was surrounded by the prophets of Baal. He was surrounded with the king and queen. He was surrounded with the army. Uh, you know, if they wanted to kill Elijah, that would have been an easy concept at that particular moment. He's totally surrounded. But yet, he does what he needs to do to honor God, and that's what brings the fire down out of heaven. So I want to point out to these things that in our deepest valley, if we'll, if we'll, if we'll let God direct us, if we'll let God show us the way to go, we will bring honor and glory to his name, and all will be well. The first thing that uh, Elijah did, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 30, I want you to notice this. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. So he's talking to the people, says, he says, come over here. They came to him and noticed this. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. The first step that we need to really think about if we're following God's direction is we got to repair the altars. And I'm not necessarily talking about the altar that's at the front of a church. In fact, right now we're having to worship at home. But I'm going to ask this question. Do you have an altar at home? Are you praying to God? Are you seeking God whenever you're home, whenever you're at the church, wherever you are? Are you praying to the Lord? It's hard to get God's direction if you're not even in prayer to him. Uh, I'm, of a, I'm of a firm to believe that a lot of people only pray to God when they're, in, when, when, when they're in a time of need. We need to pray to God all the time. When things are going well, when things are not going well. We need to be in prayer to the Lord, seeking the Lord, seeking his direction. It's hard to know the direction if we're not listening. So we need to be in prayer. We need to repair our altars. Some of those blessed people I've ever known in church, and I've been in church most of my life, some of those blessed people are the people that didn't have official titles. They did not necessarily have official positions in the church. They weren't the pastor and so on. Some of the most precious people to me have been the people I knew were prayer warriors. Those that I knew I could go to and pray for me. Uh, there are certain people in my past when I was a kid. Uh, the one who led me to the Lord, Hackie Runyon, he was a prayer warrior. Uh, there was, uh, I've talked many times, some of you have heard me talk about her. Uh, her name was Flo Vincent, an elderly lady back, back when I was 10, 10, 10 years old. She did not have an official title in the church. Uh, she was just one of the elderly ladies, but that woman prayed. And I knew that when she prayed, she rang the bells of heaven. I knew that God listened to Sister Flo whenever she prayed, because I've seen the results of her prayer. She would pray and God responded. I've seen it many times. Uh, you say, well, why did, why would God respond to her prayer? She was a prayer warrior. She practiced prayer. She listened to God. She prayed to God. She supplicated herself to the Lord. She was a prayer warrior. And I knew if I had a need, talk to Sister Flo. She was one who was going to pray. Uh, and she, whenever she said, I'm going to pray for you, she was serious. And she prayed. 
Uh, and uh, anyway, we need to repair our altars. There's nothing special about Sister Flo over, over, over any other Christian. The idea is we all need to be prayer warriors. We all need to repair the altars in our homes, in our church. We need to be people on our knees before the Lord. And it's not always physically on our knees, because some of us cannot get physically on our knees very well. But we need to be in prayer to the Lord all the time, repairing the altars. So, after he prepared the altar, notice the next thing he did, which is verse number 33. The Bible says he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. In other words, he got the sacrifice ready. Ladies and gentlemen, in the Old Testament times, the use of sacrifices were part of that ceremonial law. In the New Testament, as Christians, God still requires a sacrifice, but it's not some sort of animal. God's not asking for us to bring animal sacrifices to him. He wants the most supreme sacrifice we can give. And you, you, you will find that in Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want to read from a different translation because I really like it. I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, we're not dying. We are living. Holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. In the King James Version, that is your, your reasonable service. Reasonable service is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, the sacrifice God wants from us is us. He wants us as living sacrifices. If we're really going to touch heaven's gate... If we are really going to ring the bells of heaven as prayer warriors, we have to be holy sacrifices before the Lord. That means we don't pray for five minutes and then go out and live like the devil the rest of the day and expect God's answer. Living like the devil will not bring you the blessings of God as a prayer warrior. We have to have a lifestyle, our spiritual act of worship, our lifestyle has to be holy and pleasing to God. Our bodies as living sacrifices, that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't matter whether we're in corporate worship in the church, if we're doing video worship, if we're, if we're still working, if we're home, whatever the case may be, we are spiritually sacrificed to him. Always, 24-7. So, Elijah starts off by repairing the altars, but then he puts the sacrifice on it. We have to repair the altars in our home. We have to seek the Lord through prayer. And as we're seeking the Lord through prayer, we have to offer him the sacrifice. And the sacrifice is us. Lord, here I am. I'm wretched. I'm miserable. Lord, I've done a lot of things wrong. I've sinned a lot. But because of Jesus Christ and his mercy, because of the blood that has flowed through my life, I'm giving myself totally and completely to you. So, Lord, uh, I'm, using, I'm, I'm using this time to sacrifice myself so that you can be manifest in me. God doesn't want us as dead sacrifices. He wants us living so that his glory can be manifest in us. You know, that's a lot more of a testimony than simply fire falling. Uh, fire falling is a one-time event. It's that continual sacrifice that reaches people with the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, another example of that would be baptism. As Baptists, we practice water baptism. But here's the thing. We're baptized usually one time in water. It's a one-time event. 
That has a very limited, very limited capacity of testimony. It's a one-time testimony, hey, I'm saved. That's all it is. It's a good testimony. It is the first primary testimony, but it's just a one-time event. It's that daily lifestyle of being a sacrifice to the Lord that is the continual testimony of who we are. Uh, we have the one-time testimony in the baptism, but that, it, it, is, it is that continual testimony of being, a, of being a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. That's what carries the good news on. You know, your family is always watching you. Your friends are always watching you. Your coworkers are always watching you. And they're asking the question, what type of life is he or she living? Uh, because, you know, if you've been baptized in water or something and you had that one-time testimony, but every day that they see you, you're still living like the devil, guess what? Your testimony is null and void. It doesn't work because people see the life that you're living. That's why he tells us not only to give ourselves as living sacrifices, but we need to be holy and pleasing to God. We need to have a renewed mind so that we can test and prove God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what people need to see in us. The third part of the reason why the fire fell is that he erased the human part of the equation. Notice starting in verse number 33. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Ladies and gentlemen, Elijah's saying, nothing that's going to happen here today is done, by the is, is done by human work. It's not done because of being a human being. Uh, it's, it is not because of who we are. He is everything. We are nothing. Uh, always that has to be the forefront. We can't call fire down from heaven. We can't save someone's soul. Uh, there, you know, we can't heal anybody. We can't, we can't do any of that stuff. Only God can do those things. We have to erase the human part of the equation. Whenever we're praying, whenever we are seeking God, it's not what we can do, it's what He can do. It's always what He can do. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Isaiah tells us that we are unclean. We are like filthy rags. We don't have the power to do much of anything. God is totally omniscient and he's the one who is omnipotent. God is the, you know, to use the common phrase, God is sovereign. He is the king. Uh, he does not need my advice for anything. And, I, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, he doesn't need your advice either. He knows what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many of you, I mean, I've, I've talked about this before. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to advise God and tell God how, how to do certain things. We will go to God with our request. And instead of saying, here is, here is the request I have, we also give God the answer key. Uh, you, all, you, you, you all know that I'm, I am a teacher. And uh, sometimes having the answer key is kind of important. Now, I teach literature. There isn't really an answer key. Uh, you either know it, know it or you don't. But uh, I had a math class one time in which I also had a copy of the, uh, a copy of the solutions manual. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it worked out every problem. 
Well, you know, getting the answers to the problem is pretty easy when you have the solutions manual sitting there. Because uh, you sit there, and, you know, you're sitting there looking at that solution. Oh, that's how it works. Well, the problem is I wasn't really learning because I wasn't figuring it out myself. I was sitting there looking, looking at the answer key. Well, you know, it doesn't matter if you get 100% in the class when you got the answer key. It doesn't mean you learned anything. If I go to a medical doctor and, uh, you know, I'm not worried about the, you know, the actual degree on his wall or what his GPA is. I'm worried about one thing. Does he know what he's doing? Before he puts a knife to my body or whatever he's going to do to me, before he injects me, <laughs> we saw the thing on the news about it being, being, it being <laughs> some of you are laughing, injected with Lysol or whatever. Please don't inject yourself with Lysol. Uh, but <laughs> that's the whole point. Before you get injected with Lysol or anything else, uh, you know, it is kind of important to know that the person who's talking to you knows what he's talking about. It doesn't matter what you think about Donald Trump, like him or not like him. He's not a medical doctor, and I'm not going to follow the advice of being, being, being injected with Lysol. He doesn't have the answer key. I want somebody who knows what he's doing. Who, you know, uh, it, the uh, funny part of that video clip, if you've seen it, is looking at the two doctor's faces who are there. Whenever Trump talks about being injected with Lysol, both of the doctors who are there, because, because they had these close-up views, their faces were in total shock. And I, I was laughing. I'm like, uh, look at them. Because in prep, President or not, injected with Lysol is not the answer. Uh, it really isn't. In other words, many times we, we are going to God like we are the answer key. We go to God and we say, Lord, I need X. And Lord, this is how I need you to do it. And the Lord's looking at us like, when did you become the advisor? Who are we to think that we are the answer key or the advisor to the Lord? We are not. Our answers to the Lord are just as ludicrous as the Lysol is to two, two medical doctors. You inject yourself with Lysol, with bleach or whatever, you're probably going to die. Uh, and, it, you know, it is a ludicrous solution. And the doctors are like, you need to follow my advice more so than that one. That's not the answer out. Uh, but our answers to God are the same way. He is the sovereign of the universe. He is, he, he, he's the one who created everything. Uh, he's the one who made us. Uh, who are we to advise him on how to do things? Uh, he has how many billions of years of existence it just, it did, just in this universe, and we know he always has been. He's always existed, which means before this universe ever existed, he was still there. Who are we to advise him on anything? Now, I do take my request and my petitions to the Lord. I say, Lord, here is what I need. Sometimes even those are ludicrous because sometimes we don't know what we need. We think we know what we need. And so when God starts to answer prayer, especially when he answers in the negative, uh, it may be because we think we need one thing and he knows we need something else. So this is total trust in the sovereignty of God. Total trust that he knows what he's doing. Even if at the time we may not. How many times in your life have you noticed God working in ways that you did not suspect? And God leading in directions that you did not suspect would be there. And then all of a sudden you look back and you go, oh, that's how it works out. Because we're not the ones in control. He is. He's sovereign. And, so, and how many times have you battled the Lord saying, Lord, Lord, no, I don't, want, I don't want it that way. Please don't do it that way. And then come to find out that was the right way the whole time. 
and you find out, yeah, Lord, I get it. Sometimes we go through troubles and we go through trials and we go through things that we don't understand. But isn't it wonderful how God brings us out of those things and God shows us, I'm still in control. It's okay. I'm going to lead you out. So we are nothing. God is everything. Now, I want you to notice Elijah's prayer. Lastly, I mean, I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. We notice that Elijah restored the altar. He has repaired the altar. God gave, uh, you know, Elijah prepared the sacrifice. And we know the sacrifice is supposed to be us as living sacrifices. We know that Elijah erased the human part of the equation by having water dumped upon the altar. But then he prays, and I want you to notice exactly what he prays. Verses 36 and 37. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Notice his prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and notice this, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Now, Elijah wants their hearts turned back. He wants the people following the Lord. But I think the key phrase here is that he's done all these things at your command. Ladies and gentlemen, God has not in the life of Elijah given us a magic formula for calling fire down from, uh, from, calling fire down from out of heaven. That's not the point here at all. What, what Elijah has done is given us the recipe for following God's command, trusting God's direction. You know, we are, we are in a time of crisis still. Uh, I hear things, you know, are trying to reopen and so on. And we're going to be discussing that, I'm sure, with our church and how that's going to all progress. But I know one thing. It, what we need to follow most of all is not a governor or a mayor. It's not what everybody else is doing. The real answer is, what is the direction of the Lord? What's best for Portland General Baptist Church? What's best for us in all the other areas of our lives? Some of us are having financial needs. Some of us may have been laid off from work. What, are, what is God's direction in this time of crisis? We need to follow his directions, do things at his command. That's what this lesson's all about. Are we listening to God? Are we letting God be the director of our lives? Whenever we allow him to direct, whenever we give him total command, whenever we give him total control, things tend to work out. Whenever we try to tell him what to do, that's when we mess up. Uh, Elijah did not claim or make himself anything. He did not brag on, look at me, look, I'm going to call fire down from heaven. He simply asked God, following the directions God had given him. What happens? Following those directions, verse 38. The fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. I want to ask you today the same question that Elijah asked the people. How long will you waver between two opinions? Are you going to continue trying to play the neutral ground? Are you going to continue to be silent when the question is asked? Or are you going to say, I'm going to follow the Lord. For me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to, and follow the Lord means, first of all, he's the Lord, which means he's the one in charge. And we're going to follow him. We're going to give him and make sure he's in total control of everything. 
For me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. That means we do as he commands. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a blessing to be with you again today in this Sunday school lesson. I pray that this has been an encouragement to you. Uh, I am truly praying for the day that we're back again in corporate worship, in corporate Sunday school, because uh, I do not mind telling you I miss seeing you. I miss worshiping with you. Uh, I miss your fellowship. Uh, but I'm also very happy to hear that you're safe. And that's, that's primary importance right now, that all of us, that we're safe, uh, that we don't have this nasty virus going around, that no one's in danger in our church. Uh, so please know that I am in continual prayer for you. Uh, and please know that I'm looking forward to that day that we're back together. Would you join me for a concluding prayer? Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity once again to study your word, for looking at the life of Elijah and following direction which you have provided for us. I pray now, O oh Lord, that you will bless each and every person who's listening to me today, that you'll bless them, that you'll bless their households, that you will keep them safe, that you'll put the hedge of protection around them. Lord, give us the intelligence and the spiritual wisdom to continue to follow you in all things in our lives. We give you honor and praise for this through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed, were enriched, educated, and edified by this lesson from Dr. Rich Roberts. Join us next week as Dr. Roberts continues his series, Trusting God. Many of his other teachings and sermons can be found in the Sermon Audio Archive on our website at www.portlandgbc.org. Again, that's www.portlandgbc.org. Most of these recordings can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. Each week, our Sunday School lessons and sermons are also available on our YouTube channel. Just search for Portland General Baptist Church on your favorite platform. Until next time, stay safe and may God bless you.